Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for your love and your mercy. Thankful for this privilege to gather together to study a portion of your word. We realize that our human mind cannot comprehend anything that is spiritual. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 16. Verses 13 through 36. Although I'm going to read from verses 13 through 20. It reads, That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is together as much as he needs, Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said, to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Now the main message of the major section of Exodus chapter 16 verse 1 through Exodus chapter 17, verse 7 that we have been considering is that you should be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. Now this aside, we considered in our last study the appearance of the substance for food for Israel that the Lord provided that appeared as thin flakes like frost found on the uh, surface of the earth in the desert in the camp of Israel after the dew of the morning evaporated. Now based on our observation of what is stated in verses 13 and 14 we stated a truthful principle which is the blessing of the Lord is multi-layered. And we developed that in detail last week. Now we continue to focus on what is said though about the provision of the Lord for Israel. Now the same people say or do when they witness an event Tells us how shocking or pleasing or unique the event is. Let me repeat that. That's an important point I want to develop. That things people say or do when they see an event tells us how shocking or pleasing or unique that event is. Now we can demonstrate this assertion by referring to several events in the scripture. There was the incident in Israel when some hotheads raped the concubine of a priest 
through the night, throughout the night, that led to her death, as described in Judges chapter 19, verses 25 through 29. Judges chapter 19 verses 25 through 29. It reads, But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his son Kuman and set her outside to them. And they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the floor, and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let's go. But there was no, no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set her for home. When he reached home, he took knife and cut up his concubine limb by limb into twelve parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel because she was dead uh, by the time he did that. So the husband of the woman cut her uh, body into parts and sent that to every part of Israel. Now the response of the people indicated how heinous a crime the rape was. So we read the response of the people in what they said in Judges chapter 19. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. Verse 30 reads, Everyone who saw it said, Such a thing has never been seen or done. Not since the day the Israelites came, out, came up out of Egypt. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. Now the clause, Such a thing has never been seen or done. Now, since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt indicates that both the rape of the woman to cause her death and the cutting of the body into parts were shocking. Quite shocking. So when Israel, when they saw this, that's why people reacted the way it was shocking. Now, when Israel brought the Ark of the Covenant into battlefield with the Philistines, there was rejoicing among the Israelites. So the Philistines immediately recognized that something unusual had happened with the Israelites, as recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. For Samuel, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Now, of course, in Israel, uh, here they, they forgot really that the ark represents the presence of the Lord. But once you get into all kinds of things where you ignore God, anything that symbolizes His presence wouldn't do you any good. And that's what they thought they would do them, but it didn't. So here it says, Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come 
into the camp, they said, we are in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. So they know the story of everything that happened to the Israelites in Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea was something well known in Canaan. So it wasn't something like, uh, you know, some people say it didn't happen. No, this was a well-known story that the Philistines could refer back to it. So they all knew about it. Anyway, the response of the Philistines, when they, 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 look at them, they say, we are in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. That is one that conveyed that something unheard of or something unique had taken place. So that's an example when people react. You can tell that something unusual, shocking has taken place. Now in the time of the king Hezekiah, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were celebrated in a manner not seen in Israel since the reign of King Solomon. So, following that celebration, the people responded in a way that indicates something amazing took place, as we read in Second Chronicles chapter 30, verses 26 and 27. Second Chronicles, chapter 30, Second Chronicles, chapter 30, verses 26 through 27. There was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them. For their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. So, if you read through that, the rest, you find that the people were completely amazed. And they responded that way. From what they said, you know something unusual had happened. Now, during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he performed, of course, all kinds of miracles that caused people to respond in a manner that conveys that something unique or amazing was taking place during his earthly ministry. Take for example, the healings Matthew recorded that occurred one after another. The Lord healed the blinds, as we read in Matthew chapter 9, verses 30, uh, 29 to 32. Now hold on to that. I'm going to read the next verse too. Matthew chapter 9, verse, verses 29 through 32. It is, Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, 
a man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Now this healing, of course, was followed then by the driving out of demon from the person so that the people responded as we read. Look at the next verse, verse 33. Matthew 9, look at verse 33. Verse 33 reads, And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, look at what they say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So again, again, you notice that response of what the people, based on what they witnessed, that's why they said that nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Hence then, the examples I have cited support my assertion that the thing people say or do when they witness an event tells us how shocking or pleasing or unique the specific event is. Now this assertion, some of you may say, where is it going with this? So this assertion applies to Israel upon seeing the substance that the Lord brought to them in the camp in the desert. So Israel's response to the, uh, to the substance the Lord provided them for food is one that indicates something unique or something unheard of had taken place. Their response is then introduced in what they said as we read in the first part of the passage we are studying, Exodus chapter 16, verse 15. Look at it again. It says, that clause reads, When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? What is it? Now there was certainly an element of surprise. So that the people looked at each other and said, what is reported? See the sentence they said to each other reminds us that when people see something surprising or shocking, they turn to each other by somehow expressing amazement or shock through what they say. You've seen, you know, some of you have been, you've seen events and you look at the other person, you turn to the other person. You don't know, you're at a loss. You're shocked. Or whatever it is. That's exactly what we have here. Look at, they have seen something. They don't know what in the world to make out of it. So they looked at each other almost in unbelief. What is it? So the thing, the Israelites said to each other, again is our question, what is it? What is it? Now, they read, the Hebrew actually reads, man whom, man who. Now, that eventually became abbreviated to what, what. That is not really a Hebrew word. Now, experts, language experts, they tell us, that in Arabic, uh, in Arabic and Aramaic, that the word means who. But the context suggests the translation what. Now that aside, the word translated what in the question we are considering appears 14 times in the Hebrew text. The Hebrew Bible appears 14 times. But in 13 of these, it has the meaning manner. It has the meaning manner. That is, of course, that supernatural food that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness after they left Egypt that sees amid once Israel entered Canaan and ate its produce. According to Joshua, 
chapter 5, verse 12. I'm almost sure when the when that first sees that some of them were uh, really disappointed, sort of they've been ex- explaining and complaining and all that. Now this is, you know, we humans, we take too much granted what we have until we don't have it. They took for granted this manna, and suddenly the Lord withdraws it. After they have had it for some time. Since so we read. The manna stopped. The day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer. Any manna for the Israelites. But that year. They ate of the produce of Canaan. So they lost. Perfect. Balanced. Diet. It's gone. Now they have to fend for themselves. Because they were all complaining. They are going to find out. Now is something different. However, though, the Hebrew word appears only once as a marker of question, which is the way it is used in our passage of Exodus chapter 16, verse 15. So the point is that the people's question to each other indicates that they observe something unique. Or something that has never happened as far as they know. Those, they asked each other what to make of what they observed. Because it stunned them. They've never seen that before. No one, no people has ever seen that either. And so, that's why they say, what is it? So anyway, the reason... For the question of the Israelites is given in the next clause of Exodus 16 verse 15. Look at the next clause. It says, For they did not know what it was. Now we know that this clause gives a reason for their question. First because of that word for that begins the clause. Now that word for is translated from a Hebrew word that has several usages. In our clause, it is used as a marker of causation between two events. Hence, may be translated because or for or for the reason of. So, we know that the clause that we are considering provides a reason for Israel's question or response to each other. Another reason we know that the clause in question is concerned with reason for Israel's response is the word no and the negative word use. I see that word no is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to know in the sense of to possess information. However, the word really has a range of meanings. For example, it may mean to learn, to learn something. As that is the way it's used to indicate a person will be held guilty if the individual becomes aware of some wrong done by someone but refuses to say when there is a public plea from the authorities to come forward and, and say what you saw and somebody refuses to do so which I've brought this to your attention several times, and when that happens, the believer has sinned. And that is how our word is used, the Hebrew word yada is used in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. Now, you know, here's the thing. We, we live in a, a society, a culture, and the world that we live in. Things have uh, become so bad that uh, the morality of people has completely deteriorated. And so, if you see something that is bad, 
and you talk about or you tell, they have a word for you. They say you're a snitch. A snitch, someone who tells what's the truth. Now you just see how people, I mean, just words that we try to use is to discourage people from doing what is right. So here we read in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 1 again, it says, If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. Again, I make this point, each time I bring this passage, I remind you that if such a thing is made and you, you know something and you don't say a word, Yes, people may, no one will say anything about you, but God holds you responsible. As far as God is concerned, you've violated his uh, instruction. Now the Hebrew word yada may mean to understand as in the communication of God to Israel regarding the basis of their possession of the land of Canaan. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. Reads. Understand. That's a Hebrew word. Here it's translated understand. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Now the word, the Hebrew word may mean to acknowledge, to acknowledge something as it is used to require Israel to accept her guilt as recorded in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 13. Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 13. Where our Hebrew word again, Yada, is translated acknowledge. Here it says, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Now in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 15, the Hebrew word is used in the sense of to to recognize or to be aware of something. Thus, it is because Israel did not recognize the substance. It's something they've never seen. They didn't recognize that substance that they found on the surface of the earth in the desert, that they ask that question, what is it? What is it? Now this time though, the word works, is really translated from the, uh, the real usual Hebrew word that means uh, what or who, as a maker of question, although it can also mean what or who, whatever, as a marker, referring to a person or thing being written about, Definite or indefinite. Nonetheless, it is used here as a marker of question in the verse we are considering. That is Exodus 16 verse 15. Now, by the way, this is also something I want to emphasize. Very important. It's a simple thing, but it's important because most of us do not follow it. And what is it? This is it. There is nothing wrong with Israel's question. Look at what it says. What is it? Nothing wrong with that question. Nothing. Now, 
It is proper to ask questions about things we do not know or recognize. Quite proper. Now many times we get into trouble because some of us out of arrogance or fear do not want to admit their ignorance about anything so they go on with their ignorance rather than ask a question. They just go, you know, they, they are contented with whatever it is. And they walk around in ignorance thinking it's a virtue. Ignorance is not a virtue. I know there are things that, you know, many times if you close your mouth, you wouldn't know what you don't know. I understand that. And so in that way you can look dignified. But there are things that are so important in your life, especially in the spiritual realm, that if you don't understand, you better ask questions. So that's what the point I'm trying to develop here. In effect, what I'm saying is some of us act like the disciples of the Lord Jesus. He told them of his coming death in terms of being handed over to men. They did not understand what he said. But we are afraid to ask what he meant. As we read in Luke chapter 9 verses 43 through 45. Luke Luke chapter 9 verses 43 through 45 Luke chapter 9 beginning at verse 43 reads and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. That's what he wants to tell them. He says, you listen carefully. Pay attention. Focus. And that's what he told them. Man, he said, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. <laughs> now the next thing is very interesting. Look at what he said. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it. And then look at that last, last clause. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So you see where I make my point? Which I'm going to keep emphasizing. Therefore, if you're a student, you don't understand what your teacher explains to you, you're looking at your peers, your fellow students. That they're going to laugh at you or think you are the, uh, the dumbest student in class. And so you won't ask the question, even though you don't understand it. Of course, they have to ask questions. They don't think what they want and get an answer. So here, the, the disciples, they heard what the Lord said. I mean, you can say it's some Aramaic that they all were speaking. So, what's, what's difficult about it? Because he says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They know what it means to be betrayed. So, what, does, what's, what is this all about? They didn't know about it. They didn't understand. Too afraid to ask questions. So, then all I'm saying is, you should not be afraid or 
arrogant. Because, you know, when we're arrogant, that can also keep us from asking questions. So you should not be afraid of arrogant, so, so not to ask questions about something you do not understand. You see, ignorance never excuses a person from being held accountable before God if the person sins. Now this we learn from instruction in Leviticus chapter 5 verses 17 through 19. Leviticus chapter 5 verses 17 through 19. It is if a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he is guilty and will be held responsible. In other words, that you know this is a sin, not a valid reason before God. Verse 18 says, He is to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one with a defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him for the wrong he has committed unintentionally and he will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. So, he is saying that, that I did something, I didn't know it was wrong, doesn't excuse me before God. I mean, we also say that in the law. I mean, just because you don't know that's in the law, it doesn't matter. Once you're guilty, I mean, we violated the truth book at you, as they say. So we can't say, I didn't know. I, I mean, that's not an excuse. So the point, really, we want to emphasize is that there is nothing wrong with asking questions when you see or hear something that you do not understand. It is far better if someone thinks less of you for asking questions for clarification than to go on with ignorance and incur God's wrath because of sinning due to ignorance. So, would you not rather be uh, God be pleased with you, that for people to think highly of you while you offend God. Unfortunately, that's the thing that we're all battling with today. Because we see our fellow human beings, we have this tendency to be more concerned about them, about offending them, than God, who is the one we should be all concerned about. And so, we will dance to the tune of people we see. We do things to please them. And forget the God who sees it all, who has all the power. He can do whatever he chooses to do in the twinkle of an eye. Yet, because of people we see, we don't want to offend them. And so we end up saying or doing what is wrong. And that is something that you should, as a believer, avoid. That's why I say, would you rather God be pleased with you? Or do you want him to be angry with you and you please uh, fellow human beings that cannot do anything for you other than talk about you? Anyway. So anyhow, all I'm saying it is also dangerous to assume something that is different from what is the truth about what you observe or heard. Now this is one of those reasons well, during our studies uh, in the past I use this, made this 
important point for married couples. Don't assume what the other person is thinking. You may think you have an idea. You don't assume. Ask questions. Know for sure what they are thinking. Otherwise, you go out there and start acting. And you'll be contrary to what the person is saying or thinking. In other words, sometimes, you know, people, they have ways of playing poker. Some may smile and you think you're doing what they want. And they're not. They're not. So, it is based to say, what do you mean? I don't understand it. Can you explain? And don't assume anything. Now, it is true that the Israelites' question was directed to each other. But eventually, it is a question that was directed to their spiritual leaders. Specifically here, Moses. It's for this reason that Moses provided to Israel an explanation of the substance they observed, but they had no clue as what it was. The explanation to Israel is that the substance they saw for their, uh, as food is what God provided for them, really for their food. And that's what he says in the next sentence. Look at where we start in Exodus 16 verse 15. The next sentence reads, Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Now we contend though that what Moses said to Israel resulted from their questions because of how the sentence Moses said to them begins in the Hebrew text. Now the Hebrew sentence uh, translated in the NIV as Moses said to them actually began with a Hebrew particle that is often translated in our uh, English version as is done here with some of our English versions that are more literal in their translation. For example... The New American Standard Bible translated the Hebrew sentence this way. And Moses said to them. So, you have that word and. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, it is used to convey that uh, what Moses said results from the question of the Israelites to each other. And so, eventually, to him. Now, consequently, the Hebrew particle may be, uh, may be translated something like, so, or, therefore. The new century version reflects this interpretation since the sentence in it, this is the way it reads in the new century version. So, Moses told them. That's how they translated it. So, Moses told them. Now, the revised edition of the New American Bible translated a Hebrew word with the word but. So that their reading is something like this. But Moses told them. And they did that probably to convey a contrast to what Israel said to what Moses said. Now, that aside... Moses responded because of the question of Israel. Hence, it makes a better sense to take the position that Moses used the Hebrew particle to give the result or purpose, really, of, of Moses to Israel's response or question when he said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given to you. Now, that word bread... It's interesting, and this is one of those things we do, why it's important for us to do work study. Because if you're a thinking person, you will say, how can they see bread on the floor and don't know what it is? But that's what he says here. And you know, it is the bread that the Lord has given you. That's the way it is in English. 
Is it bread? See, that's why, like again, that's one of the reason we do what started. Anyway, the word bread here is translated from a Hebrew word that no doubt means bread as part of, let's say, what Joseph provided for his father when he wanted him to come uh, to Egypt and move the whole family. It's part of the ration that he provided. Uh, that's something that's already baked, as we read in Genesis 45, verse 23. He reads, and this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread. So you see there's a distinction. And other provisions for his journey. Now actually the Hebrew word translated bread may also simply mean Food. The word may mean food. Now, so it can simply mean grain in some places. So, in our passage, though, of Exodus 16, verse 15, the word is better used this way with the meaning of special grain for bread. Not the bread itself, special grain for bread. So that's what when Moses said, it is a special grain the Lord has given you to eat. It's not bread itself, but a special grain for bread. Or simply a special grain for food. You can say for bread or for food. Now this is because the meaning bread, again, is a meaning of a word, but what uh, Israel saw was not a finished product that we call bread, which of course is a result of some kind of baking activity. The, what they saw was something like flour, something dusty. So it, could, it would be wrong to say it is bread. It is not bread. Now, it, what they had, what they saw, could be something that uh, you could cook or you could bake. This we know from another passage in Numbers chapter 11 verse 8. In other words, what I'm saying is uh, this thing that they had, the man, not really, eventually, it could be uh, something that people could uh, use as similar to an oatmeal. Make it that way. So it is. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes. And it, was, it tasted like something made with olive oil. Now, of course, the uh, word uh, cooked here is a, a word that comes in to boil in water. Or the, the Hebrew word can also mean to bake. To bake something. Now the word interestingly can also mean to roast. Uh, something that you uh, roast in fire. Now so the range of meaning of the Hebrew word used indicates that the substance the Lord provided Israel may be baked or boiled as also confirmed later in this chapter that we're studying of Exodus 16, verse 23. 
Exodus 16 verse 23. It is. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Now does then, really all I'm saying is it's really better to take the word bread in Exodus 16 verse 15 to mean ingredients for making bread or for preparing food in general. Now be that as he made them, Moses' explanation is that the substance that Israel asks what it is, is the lost provision for them to use for food for themselves. As in the sentence of what we're studying in Exodus 16 verse 15, look at it again, it says, It is bread the Lord has given you to eat. Again, remember that we're saying it's an ingredient that can be made into something baked or something boiled. But we say, we, use, we, use, we say that it is the Lord's provision. Now we use the word provision because of that word give. The word give. Now that word give is translated from uh, a Hebrew word that may mean to give all right as it is used in creation narrative uh, of God's provision of sending seed bearing plants and fruit trees in Genesis chapter 1 verse 29 Genesis Genesis chapter 1 verse 29 it is, then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the earth, the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Now, the uh, Hebrew word may mean. Something like to set before someone something. To say something before somebody. As it is used to describe what Moses said before Israel that would determine if they are blessed or cursed. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 It is This day I call heaven earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you that's a word here set before you life and death Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Now the Hebrew word though can also mean to provide. To provide. As in the provision of food by the Lord to those who fear him. As stated in Psalm 111 verse 5. Psalm 111 verse 5. That's why the same Hebrew word give is now translated with the meaning to provide. So it says he provides food for those who fear him. 
He remembers his covenant forever. Now in our passage then of Exodus 16 verse 15, the word is used with the meaning to give or to provide. To give or to provide. So there is a sense that the word is not merely to convey God's provision. But it is a word that here shows how gracious and caring the Lord is. It's just not, you know, it's easy to say to give or to provide. But I'm saying, no, it goes more than that. It's a word that is telling us how gracious and how caring this God is. He never leads us to a place where he will not provide for us. That you can count on. God will never leave you, lead you to where he will not provide for you. He is the one that promised Israel to bring them to the, land, to, to the promised land. So Israel was following the plan of God. There's no doubt because they were marching towards the promised land that he told them, you go. So they were going according to his plan. Therefore, it was no doubt incumbent on the Lord to re- ensure that Israel was careful during their travels from Egypt to the land of Canaan, although the Israelites lost sight of this truth. They were following his plan, and therefore that the Lord is going to care for them. So I mean that if they had really lashed to this truth, that the Lord will not bring them out of slavery, only to abandon them so, as to, so that they'll starve. If they thought about that, they would not have complained of having no meat or food to eat. They wouldn't have done that. Now, despite the complaint of Israel, the Lord graciously provided them the unique substance that is needed to keep them alive while they travel to the land of Canaan. Now, the gracious attitude the Lord displayed to Israel in his provisions for them is the same gracious attitude he has towards all of us as believers. He has saved us. So, here's what we have to know. He has saved us, so we can be sure that he will care for us, sustaining us until his plan for us on this planet is completed. You should derive comfort from the fact that the Lord will never, never begins anything without completing it. He's not like us. We know for we start project, we never finish it. God is not like that. Whatever He begins, He completes it. No wonder the Holy Spirit states to us that the Lord will complete His work that He started regarding each and every one of us as His children in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 reads, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So in any event, there are two points then I want to emphasize as we end our study this evening. The first is that you should never be afraid to ask questions for clarification of what you heard and did not understand or what you observed but, uh, could not make sense of, of it. You are better off with understanding something that you do not comprehend through your question than to look dignified and walk around in ignorance or worse yet, 
sin against your Lord. The other point is that you should be assured that the Lord did not save you to abandon you without taking care of you on this planet until he finally brings you to himself in heaven. Now there is more to this passage, but we are out of time, and so we'll begin our study of this next week. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to remind us of the God we serve, how caring, loving that you are, so that in every way we can have confidence in your provision for us. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.